Hi, I'm Dr. B, and today's topic will be, actually it is an interesting one, it'll be a collaboration with Shane Raynard. He's a YouTuber, uh, documentary filmmaker, uh, I'll be explaining what we're doing today, but basically I'll be answering some of the questions that he has proposed to me. Before that, please join me in my vision to create a society where those dealing with substance abuse can live and prosper with dignity and hope. You can do that very easily by clicking the subscribe button below, ringing the bell so that you can join us in our nonprofit endeavor to help those suffering with substance abuse. I'll give you a little bit of background on that. Uh, so my name is actually Dr. Fareed Bonimad. Oftentimes I go with Dr. B, my patients call me Dr. B, my clients call me Dr. B. I think on YouTube, the sort of little tag thing for me is Dr. B, but it's Dr. Fareed Bonimad. Uh, let me make this really short. My background is academic emergency medicine. Uh, I was at a, two California affiliated universities for years practicing emergency medicine in an academic institution. What that essentially entails is you are practicing emergency medicine, you are teaching emergency medicine to new physicians, medical students, and researchers. In addition to that, what that kind of work in, entails is that you also do a lot of clinical research. In that arena as an emergency medicine physician, I was uh, had an opportunity to see a lot of substance abuse and overdoses. Uh, this is really kind of before the opiate epidemic sort of became popularized in the media, but it was always there. This is in the mid-2000s. And there was a few things I ran across that I was very uncomfortable with. Here's one. When the overdose came in, and uh, what would often happen is out in the field, the medic would reverse them with Narcan, which many people are familiar with. It reverses the adverse effects of opiates, which gets you to stop breathing. They would reverse that medication. And what that does, it push you in a state of precipitated withdrawals. That means withdrawals, which everybody knows about. This is withdrawals times 10. These patients would come in and they were suffering. They were angry, they were hurting, they were in severe withdrawals, they were mad. Oftentimes these were homeless patients. The general attitude of resident physicians, other physicians, other staff, other services was a very nonchalant, a detached attitude to this sort of suffering that the addict was going through. And, and, and I, I can understand the mindset, hey, we just saved your life. Ha ha, that's funny. I just never found that to be funny. And I spent a lot of time teaching and training, whether it was my residents or other staff members, nursing, radiology, ancillary staff, or other residents and, and services, internal medicine, surgery. Hey, you know, this is not a funny issue. We need to be comforting. We need to be supportive. We need to be enabling and we need to provide comfort. This is a guy that's going through severe withdrawals. It's not a very happy scene for this guy to be in. And, and oftentimes, you know, the guy would say, I'm in pain, quote unquote, where it justified where I would give the patient some morphine when he was coming out of severe withdrawal reversal. This was one of the things that really made me uncomfortable. Two, the other issue that I would often see is we would get a severe heroin addict coming into the hospital 
and he had a major abscess. Let's say his, I remember one case in particular, his left shoulder was falling off. Here's a guy that needed a lot of morphine for pain management. Now keep in mind when you're a heroin addict, your threshold for pain physiologically is already decreased extensively. A normal person would need, let's say for example, six milligrams of morphine an hour. Here's a heroin addict who probably needs 10 to 14 milligrams of morphine an hour. And yet the attitude from, again, the staff, the resident physicians, other services that were going to be admitting the patient, whether it's surgical services or medicine services, was two milligrams of morphine an hour. This would cause the patient to basically jump, shift, and leave against what we call against medical advice, AMA. This was another issue that would bother me and I would consistently be trying to educate, update, and teach some, uh, you know, impose some humanity in the situation. In addition, my own field of emergency medicine was, uh, you know, part of that field, a subset of my field is toxicology, would include, which includes substance abuse. And so all of these things combined made me extremely interested in the substance abuse patient, in particular the heroin addict. And eventually I moved from one university to another, and it was sort of a, a you know vertical move in terms of career goes, but I felt more and more alienated because for me, uh, I started to notice that there was a corporatization of medicine going on and there was less teaching, less bedside concern, and there was an extensive discussion about thoroughput, finances, moving residents through, whatever it was, that's not what I signed up for. And meanwhile, I was starting to see more and more in my own little small private practice, I was seeing more and more substance abuse patients. And at some point, I just decided to take the risk and move on my own and completely be dedicated, completely 100% to substance abuse. And, and uh, uh, that's the short of the story. And the rest is history. That was a few years ago. And since that time, I uh, operate a medical practice that is strictly, completely, for the most part, dedicated to substance abuse, which is a very unique model in the United States. But although if you look at, uh, if you look at it across the planet, across the globe, this is actually the model that you're supposed to use for substance abuse to get the best outcomes. I have an aftercare IOP program, which I'm affiliated with, which is a nonprofit. And I also uh, deal with sober living homes. And all of these entities promote medication-assisted treatment, harm reduction, and a very unique care that's dedicated to uh, science, professionalism, and humane care. Uh, I can talk about this extensively, but I'll just highlight a couple of things. I'm gonna separate it from the academic and the ruling bodies changes, and then from the industry changes. Number one, I don't feel very confidently about the industry of substance abuse treatment. I don't feel very confidently about the public perception and most of the public and health policy about substance abuse. I think uh, the laws are draconian. I think the approach to treatment is also uh, uh, snake oil for the most part. Having said that, <clears throat> over the last few years, I've seen a little bit more of a push towards medication-assisted treatment, harm reduction, 
And that's been for two reasons. One, last year we had 72,000 deaths. So that hopefully will push public policy, health policy, and public perception towards something that's a little bit more based on evidence. Two, I uh, have watched this and I truly mean this. You know, I think that payers, the insurance companies are tired of paying for treatment over and over and over and over again. And now the buzzword is medication assisted treatment. And I'm hoping uh, harm reduction, treatment of hepatitis C, and somewhere in there, needle exchange programs. Uh, these are some of the minor changes I'm starting to see in the industry, but I fully believe we have a long ways to go. I think a lot of it is lip service. I think a lot of it is driven by being able to get paid. Uh, I think the academic world is getting it right. I think public policy and health policy lag behind, but they're getting there as well. If we read some of the recommendations from SAMHSA and uh, I think it's NIAAA, those guys are getting it right. But for that to catch up into the industry of addiction, we have a ways to go. But nevertheless, I'm happy that we're somewhat moving forward, but certainly not fast enough. I don't think I can, I'll be honest, I don't think I can answer that in a short answer. Uh, one of my video series that I do, which is called Reality Bites with Dr. B, which I start to interview patient after patient after patient. I also bring other professionals and academics to have a long discussion about what is addiction, what is its uh, medical context, what is its social context. I think that's the place to give a long answer for this, but how we got here has nothing to do with what I do for a living. I'm just a doctor. But how we got here, I actually think addiction can be described in two ways from, an, from a way perspective that what is addiction? One, the medical model, the disease model, which is a chronic relapsing, remitting disease that we can aim for remission. That's one. And there's medication for that and there's outcomes for that that we can measure. But I think there's another way to look at what addiction is and how we got here. And that is the sociological model of what addiction is. And uh, I'm not gonna get into this too extensively, but I'm gonna say that it's the social corporatization of our culture. And with that comes a lot of symptoms of social pathology that we are suffering as a greater society, not just in this country, but internationally. Uh, and I just, I, I know it doesn't, it could potentially not, not make too much sense at this time, but I think it's the social corporatization of culture, which creates loneliness. Some of the symptoms of this, it creates isolation. It creates anxiety. It creates depression and it creates addiction. Why is this important, if I'm correct? For a few reasons. One, we can evaluate the disease from a sociological perspective on top of the medical perspective, and we can make predictions for how it's going to go. Two, we can, as a society, intervene. And that's a big topic, which I won't get into right now, but we can intervene and change our social, cultural, psychological model of behavior, of values, 
of things that we aim for in terms of the political economy that we would like our society to be at today, tomorrow, and long in the future. And I think those are the fundamental social issues where we got into this place of addiction. And I don't think it's going away soon. We might have a shift in the substance that's abused, but I don't think the actual addiction is going away soon. I hope that answers some of your questions, Shane. Uh, I know with the last one, I probably raised more questions than gave answers, but I just don't think we have the time to go into it in depth and breadth at this time. And I also hope that this, some of these answers, some of the questions that I've been getting from my viewers. And thank you everybody for your support.